Here we go. Galatians 4. And um, if I can, oh, I marked it in my Bible. There we go. I was flipping through and I had it marked. Um, let me read a couple of notes that I have written down before we read this. And then um, I missed my big table at church. And then we'll, uh, we'll jump in. So, over the last year, we've been given a new playbook to see and move and live and have our being in this kingdom that is invading the earth. That playbook is called the love of God. However, within that is a world of wonder that we've yet to explore because it required us to have the right foundation, which is the, wor- the love of God. So understanding the nature and character of God lets us move beyond the surface and into the deep that's crying out to deep. So today, I want to talk about pace, P-A-C-E, pace. Let me give you a story. So this past week, my daughter and I, some of you saw me kind of post this little poem I wrote, but uh, my daughter and I went for a walk. We do this pretty normal, um, but this was Thursday morning, and uh, we got out, we went for a walk. And we take the same journey every time. So as we walked, we were kind of taken aback by the song of the birds. We were listening to robins, mockingbirds, redbirds. We were trying to figure out what all the other birds were called, uh, morning doves. And uh, we stood in awe of the beat of the woodpeckers that are almost, um, it's almost they got this sound like they're keeping the beat of the, of the, of the birds. You know what I'm saying? Like almost rhythmic. And, um, and so we watch squirrels, we watch rabbits go after their mate and their breakfast. Then in the middle of this kind of Eden-like moment, we heard an airplane. A machine manufactured out of a hurried society's need for quick. And the noise from its speed was so loud that for a moment we forgot about the nature we one moment earlier were in awe of. As the plane left our view, cars were speeding by, late for work, going to earn a living, selling their peace, stressed out, depressed, because that's what we do, you know what I mean, um, rushing out of our neighborhood. Our neighborhood is a not a neighborhood you speed through, and yet everybody seems to speed through it. So that's what they were doing this morning. And then Veda, who usually hears from the Holy Spirit way more than I do, said this, as all these cars are speeding past us, she looked at me in her stroller, she turned around and she said, why is everyone in such a hurry? Why is everyone in such a hurry? To which I said, I don't know, but we're going to take our time. And so I start slowing down because, of course, I'm a, if you've walked with me at all, I'm a very quick walker. And so we're, in, we're like five minutes in and we've already gone like half a mile. So I'm just like blazing through. And as she says this, I slow down. And we see some bunnies as we slow down, and we chase them, and we play, and we take our time. And it hit me that Babylon, and we talked about this last week. If you weren't here, you can go back and and listen to it. But Babylon requires us to trade our peace for its pace. Hurry is an absolute problem in our society. And I love and I use a ton technology, but like high-speed Internet, for example— iPhones, social medias, apps, etc., have trapped us in a pace that has left everyone burned out and grasping to become someone other than who they really are. You know what I'm saying? The temple where Zion is built, okay, Zion and Scripture, you could say Jerusalem, you could say the city of David, they all kind of encompass the same meaning. The temple where Zion is built is identified 
um, excuse me, the temple where Zion is identified was built by Solomon, a man named Solomon, which name his name means peace. So the most damage pace is inflicting on is the church. The most damage that pace is inflicting upon by its hurry is on the church. And the church is the example for the world of what peace is supposed to look like, right? I'm, I'm getting through these notes because I really want to get to Galatians 4, but y'all just hang with me for a second. Church, the church is the example to the world of what peace is supposed to look like, yet we too have let the pace of Babylon ruin the very identity that we're called to express to the world, and we're left with a church that, because of this, has no identity. You know what I mean? The church doesn't know who, he, who it is because Babylon has told the church what it's supposed to be, and the church was never something that was supposed to be identified by Babylon. So once the pieces, or excuse me, one of the pieces that God wants to give us that required a revelation of his love that we could trust enough to receive from it is a life unhurried and unbusy. This is what I want to talk about today. The only way you and I can live in who we are is to have our gaze set on a mountain of peace where quantity is irrelevant and we can finally become the quality of human that we were always designed to be. So let me read Galatians 4. I'm going to start in verse 31, and then uh, I'll read just a few verses here. Galatians 4, 30, uh, 21, and I'm going, to, I'm going to read this in the Passion Translation. Here we go, if I can keep all my stuff from blowing away in the wind. Verse 21. Tell me, this is Paul talking, do you want to go back to living strictly by the law? Haven't you ever listened to what the law really says? Have you forgotten that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave girl and the other by the free woman? Ishmael is the son of the slave girl and was a child of the natural realm. But Isaac, the son of the free woman, was born supernaturally by the Spirit, a child of the promise of God. These two women and their sons express an allegory and become symbols of two covenants. The first covenant, listen to this language. The first covenant was born on Mount Sinai. So this is the Israelites. They leave Egypt. They're in the wilderness. Mount Sinai happens, and this is where they're given the law. So the first covenant was born on Mount Sinai, birthing children into slavery. Children born to Hagar. For Hagar represents the law. That's you. Hagar represents the law given at Mount Sinai in Arabia. That's a huge slap in the face to all the Jews that would have been listening to this, if they're, depending on how many were in the audience when Paul wrote this and it was read. Hagar, the slave woman, represents the law that everybody's living by. Really interesting. Okay. The Hagar metaphor corresponds to the earthly Jerusalem of today who are currently in bondage. Verse 26. In contrast, we have a... Uh, heavenly Jerusalem in front of us, which is our true mother. I didn't read this because it was Mother's Day, but it fits great. That's amazing. Uh, I, that just hit me. In contrast, there is a heavenly Jerusalem in front of us, which is our true mother. She is the free woman birthing children into freedom, for it is written, 
burst forth with gladness, O barren woman with no children. Break through with shouts of joy and jubilee, for you are about to give birth. The one who was once considered desolate and barren now has more children than the one who has a husband. 28. Dear friends, last couple of verses. Just like Isaac, we're now the true children who inherit the kingdom promises. And just as the son of the natural world at that time harassed the son born of the power of the Holy Spirit, so it is today. Verse 30. And what does Scripture tell us to do? It tells us, Expel the slave mother with her son. The son of the slave woman will not be the true heir, for the true heir of the promise is the son of the free woman. Last verse. It's now so obvious we're not the children of the slave woman. We're the supernatural sons of the free woman, sons of grace. Sons of grace. That is awesome. So let me, uh, let me hold my paper down real quick, and I'm going to just mention a couple of things through this. Abraham has two sons that stand in contrast right here. Two sons. Ishmael, who is the son of the slave and the natural realm. And you have Isaac, the son of the free woman and the son of the promise. Ishmael and Isaac. Y'all good? Okay. Ishmael and Isaac. A promise from God comes with an incubation period. Any promise from God comes with an incubation period. Okay? The journey is just as important and as crucial to the promise as the promise itself. Because on the journey, you and I become that which is capable of containing and leveraging the word of the Lord as it was intended to be contained and leveraged. When we try to force our way prematurely, this is what Abraham does. When we try to force our way prematurely into what the Lord has spoken over us, or as a family, or as a church family, if we try to enter into something prematurely, what the Lord has spoken over us, we will end up, as Abraham did, in intimacy with works, which is slavery, which will absolutely produce quantitatively. Like if you if you work hard, we see this all over our society. How many the the richest people in the world have a lot of money and are the most miserable people in the world, right? So the people in our society that Babylon says are the most successful are extremely rich monetarily or quantitatively, but are extremely poor qualitatively. You know what I mean? And so Babylon judges success based on how much quantity you have at the expense of the quality of who you are or character. Whereas Zion is strictly concerned with the quality of who you are, even if it comes at the expense of quantity. Okay? So Ishmael is the son of, we could say, Babylon. Isaac is the son of Zion. Ishmael is the son of taking matters into my own hands. Isaac is the son of trust and God fulfilling his word. Okay. Lord, I need some paperweights up here, but that's all right. <clears throat> and do you know what it produces? This is what works produces. It will produce sons in slavery which will one day mock the sons of the promise and be that which tries to get the promise to conform to production, which is works, which is the law, which is slavery, and which is ultimately Babylon. Let me, I'm going to try to break this down. 
So Isaac is the son of the promise. You can't force Isaac. There's nothing you can possibly do to prematurely force Isaac. Isaac is the one that the Lord spoke to Abraham and said, through your seed, the entire globe will be blessed. Through your seed. Okay? This is Isaac. You can't force Isaac. You can absolutely force Ishmael because Ishmael had zero promises attached to him. Ishmael wasn't even supposed to exist. Right? And so if you decide and I decide that we're going to get in bed with the works because it's easier and because it's quicker and because it produces, it will absolutely produce. It'll produce sons of slavery, which will one day mock the sons of the promise. Let me say it like this. If you have a garden that's full of amazing flowers, or let's say, even I'll use my example at home, if you have grass that you work really hard to look like grass, right? But then you've got all these weeds that are in it and you don't take the weeds out, it doesn't matter how good of a seed that you plant in your grass, your grass is going to look like junk because of all the weeds. You can, I've worked my tail off to make our grass look good and it looks good for a few days until the weeds grow back because I don't pull the weeds up because it honestly would take too much work. You know what I'm saying? And so as long as Ishmael, as long as a works-based mindset, as long as a law-based mindset is still present, even if it's 1%, when Isaac comes onto the scene, Isaac representing the promises of God, when you start walking into some of the things that the Lord has promised you, if Ishmael is present in any way, shape, or form, the Ishmael part of your thinking will start to mock the Isaac part of your reality. Do you know what I'm saying? So the Lord speaks over you and says, you know, I, I don't know, I'm going to bring you into a place where you don't struggle with your identity anymore. Amazing. And you start walking into a life where you stop struggling with your identity. But there's always those moments if you don't send Ishmael away. There's always those moments when you slip up or you mess up or you think wrong or you do something wrong or you tell or you do whatever. And Ishmael starts to mock Isaac. Right? Okay. So Isaacs can only be birthed through patient trust. Isaacs can only be birthed through waiting. Ishmael's can be born through effort, which is why the church is full of Ishmael and completely empty of Isaac. You can effort your, let me say it like this, you can effort your church full of Ishmael. You can work hard enough to have a church completely full of Ishmael. But if you want a church full of Isaac, you've got to wait. Isaac cannot come through the slave woman. It can only come through Sarah. And Sarah's womb was closed by the Lord until the appointed time. Because, if I can turn my page, to get Isaac, you and I will have to slow down and live in peace, which is the antithesis of what we've been told success is, which is pace. How much, how fast is how we think when we should think, and I don't mean this to Ron, but it does, okay? How much, how fast is how we think when we should think how long will it last? 
how much, how fast is what we're told success is when we should see by way of a vision of Zion's success in terms of how long it will last. So I thought about this this week. I, uh, I've noticed that we, so, so we have issues in um, just life. I, I definitely have issues with this. Seeing things here and now. So let me use an example. Uh, most people retire when they're 65, right? Somewhere around there, 65, 60, 70, somewhere around there they retire. If you retire when you're 65, let's say you want to retire when you're 60. So you work your tail off until you're 60. You don't, you know, you don't come home at a good time. You work and you work and you work and you work and you work because in your mind, you're like, when I turn 60, I'm going to have enough money saved up and I'm going to be able to live my life. So you work and 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 you work. And then you get to 59 and you get word that you have a terminal disease. And suddenly, if you start seeing the 10,000-foot view, you look back and you say, man, I wish I hadn't worked so much. Let's say you live till 100. Then you're looking back and you're completely fine with the fact that you work so much because you had all of that free time to play. Right? But all we see is here and out. So what if, in that example, what if you had the ability to step back and see your entire life and how it was going to play out? You would start making decisions in the moment based on what you know to be true about your entire life. Right? You see what I'm saying? So if you knew you were going to live to 110 years old, right, then you might spend a little more time working now to prepare your bank account that you're going to live 110 years old. Really dumb example. Here's another example. In the Old Testament, the way that you earned your spot into eternity is by how you act now. So everything that you did in the moment determined how you were going to be or your reality or who you were going to be with for eternity. Jesus comes in and changes the entire script. He does exactly what he came to do. Woo! John 3:17, <laughs> which is, I have sent my I have not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Jesus did exactly what he came to do. Right? And so after Jesus, there is a script flip, and now we see things from eternity in. Right? So in the Old Testament, we see things from the moment into eternity. In the New Covenant, which we're in, we see things from eternity into moment. So now I don't do things based on how it's going to affect me for eternity. I do things now based on what I know to be true about my eternity. Are you with me? Is this too much philosophy? Okay. Everybody said yes, so thank you. Um, Hagar and Ishmael represent the law which birthed slaves. This is, this is I don't think we, we don't ever think about this when we read this. Paul is, this is what Paul is literally saying here. Paul is saying, and remember, the entire Old Testament is about living to the law. The Jews exist for the law. You know what I'm saying? And Paul is essentially saying right here that the only thing the law was good for was throwing you into slavery. I, I mean, that, right? That's, that is huge. Paul is saying 
that we were designed for law and works as much as Abraham was designed to reproduce with Hagar, which is not at all. Paul, Paul says, you and I were designed to approach God by way of law and works as much as Abraham was designed to be in bed with Hagar, which is not at all. Okay? Sarah and Isaac represent the promise which births children of promise. So Paul is saying that we were designed for freedom and promise as the antithesis of that, as much as Abraham was designed to reproduce with his wife, which is he was 100% designed to reproduce with his wife. So Paul is saying we need to step out of any mentality of law and works as much as Abraham needs to step away from the slave woman, Hagar. Babylon, Egypt, and the law are all related because they all enslaved the people of God. That's a, that's, a really, that's a really big statement. Luckily, there's not that many people here. Babylon, Egypt, and the law. You mean the law of God? Yes, the law. Are all related because they all enslaved the people of God. Why? Babylon, Egypt, and the law all measure your worth based on your performance. Babylon, Egypt, and the law all of them measure your worth based on your performance. And as long as you and I have to perform to be anything, listen to this, you will live at the pace of the culture requiring you to perform. As long as you and I see our identity in terms of how we perform, we will live at the pace of the culture requiring us to find our identity in our performance. You know what I'm saying? So if, if, me as a pastor, if my identity as a pastor is determined by how quick I could fill an amphitheater up, because that's, that's usually what it is, right? If that's what determines my success as a pastor, suddenly I'm going to warp speed my pace to fill this up at any cost, including my own identity. You know what I'm saying? But, but if Zion has a say in this, and we step back and see things in terms of eternity, suddenly we see the moment differently. So let me say it like this, to use the same example. If we could look back at 100 years, and in 100 years, let's, no, let's say 500 years. In 500 years, let's say Dream Church is the largest church in the world. If we could step back, and in 500 years we see Dream Church, and we say that's the largest church in the entire globe. Now you bring it into the moment, and you say, wait a minute. My responsibility is to make sure this stays healthy. But do you, you see, so when you see things from God's perspective in, you stop getting in intimacy with a Hagar, with a slave, with a law that only produces kids in slavery. So let me say it like this. If I'm in slavery as the leader... Guess what the only thing I can produce will be? Slaves. You, see, you know what I'm saying? If, if my mentality is a law of works, is a Babylonian uh, order of success, 
then all I am capable of producing is what Abraham produced with Hagar, which is Ishmael, which is a slave. That's it. But Zion, the promised land and the kingdom are all related because they all bring the people of God back into original design. Zion, or the promised land, or the kingdom, all see your worth and my worth as what it most truly is. And as long as you only need to trust that what has been declared over you is true, you will live in the peace of the culture requiring you to just be you. So if the expectation is for, and I can only speak as a pastor, but in your job, if the only expectation, let's say you go to work tomorrow and they say, here's your expectation, is for you to be exactly who you are, and that's it. Now suddenly, you breathe and you start to operate as who you are because the expectation of you being somebody that you're not has been laid down. So the kingdom doesn't require you to be someone you're not to produce something. The kingdom requires you to rest in who you are and be who you already are designed to be, which is just you. This is what, let me read, I'm, I'm almost done. Verse 28 through 31, let me just read this one more time. This is what uh, Abraham, or excuse me, Abraham. This is what Paul says here. He says, in a uh, Galatians 4, verses uh, 28 through 31. He says, Dear friends, just like Isaac, we're now the true children who inherit the kingdom promises. And just as the son of the natural world at that time harassed the son born of the power of the Holy Spirit, so it is today. So it is today. And what does Scripture tell us to do? Expel the slave mother with her son. The son of the slave woman will not be a true heir, for the true heir of the promises is the son of the free woman. So now it's obvious. We're not the children of the slave woman. We're the supernatural sons of the free woman, sons of grace and daughters of grace. As long as Ishmael, who is self-effort, success-driven, fast-paced movement, image, etc., is in the camp... It will always mock Isaac. Why? Because Ishmael, this is huge. Ishmael can point to all that was done to achieve or produce him. And Isaac, on the other hand, has nothing in the eyes of Babylon to point to that was done to achieve or produce him because Isaac is not produced. Isaac is received. Ishmael... Your, our our, our works-based, performance-based mentality will always mock Isaac because Ishmael can point to the production that produced him. You know what I'm saying? So it makes sense for us to naturally want to have a works-based mindset or a performance-based mindset as it relates to God because that produces so, so I can look at myself and say, I am the man I am because I have a discipline. Every morning I wake up at 4 a.m., I read my Bible for hours, I pray for hours, I worship for hours, I fasted for 40 days, I've done all of this stuff, and I'm here because of that stuff that I've done. Ishmael has a lot of stuff that he can point out and say, I did that to get me here, right? 
Isaac had nothing. Sarah was beyond childbirthing age. Abraham was beyond childbirthing age. And both of them, their womb completely barren, were receiving a promise of God that would come through impossibility so that there's no way they could point to it and say, we did this. So Isaac is only received. Isaac has nothing that he can look back and say, that happened, that happened, that happened, and that happened, and that's why I'm here, except for the Lord spoke, and that's why I'm here. So Ishmael will always, and let me bring it down to more personal. Your, our, the reason we struggle letting go, letting go of performance is because it produced so much in our lives. Like, man, you talk, you know, Josh, you talk a lot, you talk a lot about we shouldn't be a performance-driven church. However, our churches are slam full. So, I mean, we're doing something, right? Ishmael, all, it always has something that it can point back to and say, we did that, we did that, we did that, we did that. Isaac has none of that. Isaac, if you're not careful, will start to question who he is by the mocking voice of Ishmael because Isaac can't point back to something that produced him. You know what I mean? If you're not careful, it'll be so easy to live in peace. If you're not careful, you're start, you'll start to question your peace because of the mocking voice of Ishmael if you don't expel it. I know it's cold. Last couple of notes. Matt, you want to go ahead and come up here? Abraham produced Ishmael out of his own effort and pace. Remember in Genesis 15, he receives the blood path covenant, the marriage covenant with God. And in Genesis 16, the next chapter is the Hagar-Ishmael situation. So Sarah, his wife, gets tired of waiting on the Lord and convinces Abraham to do something that he absolutely was not called to do because it was quick and it worked. However, there came a point later on in the story on weaning day. It says this in the book of Genesis, but on Isaac's weaning day, which would have been Isaac's day of maturing. On weaning day, Sarah, Isaac's mom, the, the, mother, the free mother that produces uh, sons into freedom. Sarah sees Ishmael mocking Isaac. And a lot of scholars have like gone back and forth on what he might have been mocking him over. Probably what it was is that on weaning day, Isaac would start to step into his full sonship. He would start to mature into his sonship. So most scholars believe that Ishmael, being the older brother, would have been looking at Isaac saying, you're too young for this. You're not mature enough for this. I'm older than you. I should be doing this. And Sarah goes to Abraham and he says, or she says, you better get that slave woman out of this camp. And Abraham expels Ishmael and Hagar, who is an Egyptian slave, from the camp. So Abraham produced Ishmael out of his own effort and pace, but Abraham received Isaac out of his patient endurance and trust. This is what Hebrews 10.36 says. It says, You need to persevere 
so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. You need to persevere. Persevere there could be patiently endure. You need to patiently wait so that when you have done the will of God, what is the will of God? To persevere. So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. You cannot earn what God has promised. You cannot work hard enough to receive it. Listen, you and I, God is so good. God is so love. God is so patient that you and I cannot expedite God's promises. We can try our best, and when we try to expedite God's promises, it produces kids called Ishmael that one day will grow up with Isaac, the son of the promise, and start to mock it. You, you and I need to receive the freedom to have a different pace than the world around us. That doesn't mean we don't do anything. That doesn't mean we're, I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm talking about you live with a protection over your peace that says it doesn't matter what kind of pace Babylon requires of me. If it comes at the expense of my peace and who I am, then I will not entertain it, right? If it, if I'm required, this is, this is bringing it back to Abraham. God promises Abraham a son. The moment Sarah went to him and said, this ain't happening, but let me let me give you my slave girl and maybe she can produce a son for me. Abraham should have looked at her and said, if the way that I get to what God promised me is by getting in bed with a slave, then I refuse it. If, if, if you and I getting to the things that God has called us into requires us to lay down our peace, let me bless you. It ain't worth it. I would rather, and, and I'm saying that as in God would never require you to do that, but I would rather live my entire life short of some of the promises of God and still have my peace intact than to be in every single thing that the Lord promised me and to be miserable. I, like, I, I, would, I would rather be the pastor of a church that has 20 people the rest of my life if I keep my peace than the pastor of 20,000 people and not have a clue who I am and hate my life and hate my family and not be around my family because I'm working my tail off to make sure this thing runs because that's what Babylon said to do. And it's so difficult for everybody to understand that until we get to the place where I'm 70 years and you're 70 years down the road and you're more convinced of the love of God at 70 than you were at 30. And then you look around at all the people People who wanted you to step into a pace that you weren't designed for at 30, but you rejected, and you look at them burned out while you're full of your years with your grandkids running in your yard, so convinced of the love of God that they begin to step into a love and a revelation that you never have because of your patient endurance. You know what I mean? Like this is this is huge. This is why Jesus, though he was the Son of God on the earth, fully man, fully God had 12 people around him that he spent three years pouring into. There was thousands of people that would come to him and ask for miracles. And the minute he released any kind of revelation that was deeper than one inch, they all left except for the 12. And he was okay. 
You know what I'm saying? Because if it required him to lay down his peace and required him to lay down who he was, he saw it as something that was not worth it. And I want to bless you today with this because we are going into a summer season where COVID is over, where people are getting back to their lives, where people are getting back to their normal ways, and we're getting, if we're not careful, we're going to slide back into the pace that we had in 2019 that was killing people. I mean, this we were given a blessing of two years to hit the brakes and recalibrate, and two years later, people are saying, now that it's over, let's get back. And I'm, I'm telling we, we've got to protect our peace at all cost. You've got to protect who you are at all cost. It is not worth it. It is not worth it. But you know what is worth it? When you can hold Isaac, when you can hold your promise in your hands and know there is nothing I did to get this but receive, therefore there's nothing I could do to lose it. I mean, God being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was not because of anything Abraham did. It was because of Abraham's willingness to, even though he was as old as dirt, believe that if he said it, he's going to do it. Do you know what I mean? He, he, him and his wife were as good as dead. And the Lord finds Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans who worshiped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of false gods. And he brought him out and he said, Abraham, not because of anything you've done, not because you're special, not because you've read the, well, back then the law wasn't written yet, not because you've been faithful to me, but simply because I said so, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Through your seed, the entire globe will be blessed. I'll give you kids like the sand on the seashore. I'll give you kids like the stars in the sky. You won't even be able to count them. And when he dies, he has one son in the line of the promise, Isaac. How do, you, like, how do you reconcile that God speaks to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you so many kids, you won't be able to count them. And when he dies, he has one in line of the promise. Because it was, nev- it was never about Abraham holding kids as the sand in the seashore. It was about Abraham being the father of a faith and a trust that reproduces generation after generation after generation the same mentality of Abraham. So I, I want to encourage you. I'm going to pray, and then we'll be done, and we can go celebrate our moms. But I want to encourage you. We, we, as a family, we've got to see things eternity in. Not moment to eternity, but eternity in. Let me say it like this. It, what, so our entire lives, our entire lives, I missed my little headset today. I'm not used to holding this. We, uh, we have been taught that all of our lives, we work and work and work and work. And I know some of you, but we work and we work and we work and we work and we work. And if we work good enough, we'll be in heaven when we die. So we, we spend our entire lives trying to earn something that Jesus earned 2000. It's already been earned. It's done. So we've never seen a generation that actually believe they start at wholeness and then say, 
what could we do if we no longer have to earn anything? So I'm not trying to work my way into a right standing with God so that when I die, I'm in heaven. I'm trying to be convinced that you and I are in heaven now. And of course, I say that spiritually. Nobody take that with you. You know what I'm saying? That you and I are in a kingdom that is invading the earth now. So my question is, here's how you need to think. If you die tomorrow and you're in heaven, what does the next 100 years look like while you're in heaven with Jesus? Whatever that looks like, tomorrow morning you need to wake up and start living like that. Because that's where we are. You don't have to earn it. Jesus, this is what he says. God did not send his son into the world, the cosmos, to condemn the cosmos, but that through him the cosmos will be saved. The cosmos are saved because of what Jesus did. He did not fail. So if you and I are saved, that means we can live every day of our lives as those who have been saved, not as those who are being saved. You know what I'm saying? You're not earning salvation. You couldn't earn salvation. You were given salvation. And when you were born, you were born in Christ. You were not born in sin. You were born in Christ, and you spent every day of your life up until this moment in Christ. And here's the delusion that most of us, though we've spent every day of our moment, every moment of our lives in Christ, we have lived most of the moments in our lives thinking we're not in Christ, that we've got to earn our way into Christ. So we've been in Christ with a mindset that I've got to work my way into Christ, and we wonder why we never make it. We, we have been in Zion with a mentality of Babylon, and we wonder why it doesn't work. All we've got to do is change the way, repent, is change the way that we think to see that where you and I are right now is exactly where we need to be so you can live at peace. You could just live at peace. So let me pray, and then we'll be, we'll be done. Everybody bow your heads. Close your eyes. Let me ask this. Is there anybody, uh, I about said in the room, <laughs> is there anybody out here today uh, I, that you would say that you feel like your peace has been stripped away by Babylon's pace? If there's anybody in the room, I would just love to pray, just pray over you. Just throw up your hand if that's you. You feel like Babylon's pace has required you to give up a lot of your peace. Awesome. Awesome. Let me pray. Lord, I pray over everybody under the sound of my voice. I pray over all of our family that is out of town and um, celebrating today. I I pray that you would give us a revelation. And I I don't mean just like a churchy word revelation. I mean like, would you give us a deep knowledge and understanding of what it means that we were bought with a price and that price was Jesus and we were bought and no one owns us. The devil doesn't own us. Our own enemy lies don't don't own us. The bad things that we've done don't own us, but you do. We are sons and daughters of the most high God. We can live in peace in the knowledge and the understanding of who we are and we can lay down the pace that says we've got to go somewhere quick. There's nowhere to go. We're here. There's nowhere to be. There's no quantity that we have to attain. There's only the quality that we have to open our eyes and see that we have attained by way of receiving. 
We are Isaac's generation. We are Isaac's mentality. We are Isaac's identity, which are sons and daughters of the free woman born into freedom. We are not Ishmael. So Lord, I expel the mindset and the thought process and the identity of Ishmael from the slave that says there is work to do. There is not work to do, but there is a lot of life to live. I pray that we would trade the stress of pace for the fun of peace. I pray that we would trade the compromise of pace for the endurance and wholeness of peace. And in that, we're going to see what life to the full really is. We have life to the full. We just haven't lived life to the full but we're going to. So it's in your name that we pray. Amen.